0: Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later.
1: If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move.
0: Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go.
1: I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNurtney at Green Ocean Global we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend.
0: Right. He can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes.
1: And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation.
0: I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out.
1: And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John.
0: Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out.
1: All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below.
2: Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Kaylee and Josh. Each week they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, we've got the expat experts themselves, answering even more of your questions. And it's all coming up next. Stick around. Hey, Josh. Hey, Kaylee.
0: Hey, Dan. Good to chat with you again.
1: Hey, Dan. Good to hear from you. And how have you been?
2: Man, I'm doing great, thank you. And thanks to you, I was well prepared for my cruise. I'm coming at you live from Vancouver this week after disembarking from a four-day excursion up the northern coast of the U.S. Man, we had a fantastic and relaxing time. We are just cruising at an expensive right? where, aren't we?
1: Like,
0: Oh, he's, he's got those dad <laughs> jokes. <laughs>
1: I, I've had dad jokes before I became a dad, to be fair.
0: That's true. I think that's what roped me in. That's why he married me, because I laughed at his corny jokes.
1: Some real father material. Facts. Well, I mean, that's not why I married you, but it, <laughs> but it helped.
0: Uh, but that's so great that you had a good, relaxing cruise. Oh, it's good to hear.
2: Thank you. Have you found that there's a lot to do, or what? Man, honestly, there was plenty to do. Lots of fun, but my daughter, having options to hang out with other kids the whole time we were on the ship was the best. Her favorite thing to do is play with other kids. This was the first family vacation we've gone on without cousins or another family. So the kids club aboard the ship was awesome for her. If she's having fun, mom and dad are able to relax, and we most certainly did. That
1: is so awesome that she had kids at the kids club. I mean, I know that Valencia only had a couple, but those couple were clutch.
0: That's all she needed, yeah.
1: Yeah, so super glad to hear that your little one has had other kiddos to play with, because I think that's probably a fear that a lot of parents would have about going on a cruise, especially one where it might be typical for it just to be adults. Totally, totally. I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, the kids club is so smart of them to have created on the cruise ships because then everyone, the whole family can go and the parents can enjoy themselves and feel relaxed, but then the kids can go and enjoy themselves as well, which is obviously super important.
2: Well, that's enough about me. This is starting to make me feel uncomfortable. What are you guys getting into this week?
0: Oh, don't feel uncomfortable, Dan. It's fine.
1: We like getting to know you. I mean, really, you know, the listener out there is probably very much like you in the in the maybe early to middle stages of moving to Portugal. And um, I would say that a lot of people can r- relate to things you're thinking, feeling. So we can talk about you. It's okay. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: But an update for us this week, we had some more movement on the purchase of the property. So that's coming along.
1: Yes. Yeah. We're trying to move on this in a, not in a linear fashion, but try to like tackle multiple things at the same time. Okay. Because I think if we moved in just a very linear way, then it would slow us down in the long run where we would only be just trying to get the acquisition of the property done. Whereas the past week or so, we've been working on, Uh, stacking up who our architect and builder are going to be. I think some people might wait until they actually have acquired the property and then they start looking for these people, these professionals. But the way we look at it is that would just be kind of wasting time wise.
0: Yep. And then just getting back in the swing of things, I guess. So work stuff, expats everywhere stuff.
1: Yep, trying to keep up with uh, the emails we get from, from the listeners, so that's been nice.
0: Oh, one big thing, though, uh, we've got a cost of living video coming out soon, and uh, Josh has been harping on me about how much money we spend, <laughs> so that's been fun.
1: <laughs> too much money. Oh, my my goodness, too much money.
0: That's why I don't like doing those yearly cost of living videos, because I think every year Josh talks about how we're spending too much.
1: A hundred percent.
2: Sounds like maybe we should do those in my house, too. So tell me where you're at on this. I know you have the D7 visa course. I purchased it myself. It's wonderful. The D8 visa has been out for what, six months now? Can you tell us the difference and what you've got available for those of us looking to get a visa in Portugal?
0: Right. So we have our D7 course, like you said, and then we also have a D8 or remote worker course. I I don't know if the official name has changed to D8, but that's what everyone's calling it, really. Okay. So the remote worker visa, we have a course for that as well. A lot of it's quite similar on how to apply. I think the consulates have definitely gotten better with how they're processing things. It was a bit of craziness when it first came out. The consulates weren't quite sure how to process things, but um, it's it's getting a lot smoother for sure. Good to hear. And there are two different prongs you can go down. One is quite temporary, like a one-year, which is really more for the digital nomads. But then you also have the other one, which is closer to the D7 that is similar in the sense that you have a CEF appointment and you plan on, you might plan on getting citizenship, things like that. Got it. So that's uh, what most people are looking to get. So the course touches on both of them, but it's really for the permanent resident or a citizenship path that a lot of people are looking for. And really one of the biggest difference between the D7 and the D8 is one is passive income and one is active income.
1: Okay. Yeah. So the D8 or the digital nomad visa, the difference would be one is if you want to stay past your 90 days in the, the Schengen zone or in Portugal in particular, uh, and up to one year, you need to have some sort of permanent resident visa to be here after a year. Now, it is possible to renew the uh, digital nomad visa, I believe, twice. So you could actually stay for two years, but there's a renewal process. Whereas if you go down the residence path, then you'll go to your self-appointment, then you'll get two years. And then after that, you'll get three years.
0: And we touched on all of that stuff in the course. Perfect. Which we can put in the show notes.
1: And as well, listener, we will put a discount for either the D7 or the D8. So if you check out the show notes, we have a code in there, That is for you and you alone. We're not telling anybody else, but we really appreciate you listening to this podcast.
0: And the cool thing is, is we also have a Living in Portugal course that covers things that once you're actually here, you have to do and get used to. And if you purchase the D7 or the D8 in that course, you have a code for a discount for the Living in Portugal course as well.
2: Man, look at
1: you two hooking everybody up. You get a discount. You get it. Everybody gets a discount.
0: (laughs) Josh with his jokes.
1: Shout out to Oprah. Always. WorldPost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone.
0: And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month.
1: Here's a cool feature they have. WorldPost can relay things from the US to Europe. So that includes documents.
0: (laughs) Amazon purchases. Amazon purchases.
1: And you can get it to Portugal.
0: And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that.
1: I bet you love that junk mail filter.
0: Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters.
1: <laughs> She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below.
0: Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dream since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and and choke point of the proof of accommodation. Because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the like the long term people have had problems with, right?
0: Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location, in a livable location, until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live.
1: And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using.
0: Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money.
1: Yep. Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule. And they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast.
0: Yeah, which is really exciting.
1: So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below.
2: All right. This is a long one. It's from the YouTube community. Uh, Kathy W. 9439. Interested in the international student scene and post-graduation opportunities in Portugal. We are a couple in our mid-50s with a high school junior. Our son recently completed six months or one semester in German high school. He had his eye on the EU for university and beyond for several years and spending time in Germany only reinforced his desire. He also knows that we are planning an early retirement move to Portugal, coinciding with his completion of high school in 2024. Now he's doing the math of five years to EU citizenship and may be setting his sights on using his university time to count towards the five year residency requirement in Portugal as well. We're aware of a handful of English taught programs, mostly in Lisbon. Wondering if you've dug into the student culture in various areas like Porto, Lisbon, or Coimbra, as well as post-graduation work or work search visas, etc. Is this too specific a question? What about options for residency for those with children who are closer in age to independent status than dependent status? Oh, it's a quick one. Just a just a one two word answer, Whoa. and then we'll move on to the next one.
1: Oh man, honestly, I I don't know the the immigration side of being on a student visa i don't know if that that counts towards residency
0: yeah i'm not sure that it does
1: i like i would lean towards saying it does not count towards residency
0: right i didn't think it did either but but i'm not
1: too sure um because because i don't think that it does in the states i I don't know yeah yeah that's that's a tricky one it's a good Uh, question that that's definitely a good question i think I think that is, that is worth uh, obviously investigating in and not just assuming that, oh, because I, I went to school here for five years, now I get residency. I don't think it works that way. Not to crush your son's hopes and dreams. Uh,
0: but I think well, I have a company too. <clears throat> I have a company um, that, that would know this. So if you want to reach out, Kathy, about that, then we can put you in touch with the company who can clarify that for you. And you can send me an email at info at and I can introduce you to that company. And we'll put that in the show notes as well.
1: But going back to the topic of, you know, what's the university uh, or, or college culture like in a variety of cities? What we notice is it's strong. The, the, the college culture is very strong. Um, Porto certainly feels like a university city, definitely during different times of year. Um,
0: and different neighborhoods
1: in different neighborhoods. I was going to say that as well. Uh, depending on where you are in the city, you, you could be surrounded by university students. We're really close to a street that has several different like technical schools and different periods of the day, especially around lunchtime. And then kind of late afternoon when, when classes are getting out, we do see a lot of uh, university kids. Um, so the city in that way feels quite young. Coimbra also feels that way they have a, a a deep tradition history um Lisbon too I think the thing with university students here is I don't want to say they're revered but there is like there is some like respect towards the the university culture here and the fact that kids are furthering their education and yeah, there's there's something about it. There's a little bit of magic to it. I don't
0: well, know and know they walk well. around in their capes, which is a thing. Well, and there's festivals and stuff, and they play music and they yes. do different. Yeah, because they they are very involved in the community, actually, in what they do. I mean, you, you see them all over the place. Um, and again, yeah, it is a thing. Like for them, it's not a status thing, but like it's exciting to them to walk around wearing their cape. They have got something, some big event that they're going to. So. Yeah, it's a it is a big part of the community, even in the bigger cities, because we see it here in Porto. Yeah. But I would say too that um a lot of the universities, especially the bigger ones, they have classes in English because there's a thing called Erasmus that that happens where and it's more European, but there's some sort of agreement with a different university in a different country. And so they send their students here and like kind of kind of an exchange in a sense. But Erasmus is a big <coughs> European thing. And so because of that, for example, if you're coming from Poland, uh, you know, you don't speak Portuguese, but you speak English. So they will have a lot of those classes that will be in English. So that is a good thing for those who uh, who want to go to university in Europe and in Portugal is to finding those those classes that are in English. But then also to going back to the question with uh, then was it work like? I think what's good is, you know. The cost of living and wages and such in Portugal are low. So even if you go to university here in Portugal, it might be a little more difficult to find a job that you feel like you're qualified for, that you're getting paid well for. But uh, going here, it kind of unlocks a little bit of Europe as well because you went to a European university. So you do have that going for you. Uh, and then it's not so bad either if you want to go back to the States to find a job. But finding a job could be a little difficult as far as wages go.
1: With that, that was the thing I was going to touch on. I think when... A, when a young person is in kind of the the early years of their occupational grind, there's kind of two paths they can go down. They can go down the experience route, which I think uh, for an American, being able to live in Europe and have that experience would be massive. Being able to learn a new language, uh, maybe multiple languages, depending on where all you go in Europe, could be awesome. The downside, certainly, to getting a job straight out of university here in Portugal is the wages. The earning potential here is just not there. In fact, at my university uh, back in the U.S., I was connected with a soccer player at at my university that was going through the graduate program, and I was a soccer player at the the school as well, so that's how we were connected. Um, Little did the coach know I was living in Portugal, and this player was Portuguese. And he's from Lisbon, and we kind of discussed a bit of that. And I asked him, like, "What are you going to do when you graduate? Are you planning on coming back?" And immediately he said, "No way." He said, "I, I want to stay in the states. I want to. I want to be able to get a, a good job where the entry level is going to pay me four, five, six times what I could be making in Portugal." And I, I, I found that to be interesting because there are a lot of positives of of living in Portugal, but he's not at that stage of life where he's looking at the things that I look as being positive and the things that I look as being, um, important in my life. He's focused on career advancement and money. And, uh, I wish him the best. Like, I I think that's fine. That's a fine decision. He's having his abroad experience living in the U S being Portuguese, and he's also able to earn more, more money. Um, so he's giving himself a financial head start compared to a person that's in Portugal that stays in Portugal.
0: Yeah. And then also you asked about uh, being dependent the those who have kids who are older, uh, they're still considered dependent until 25 or 26. So even if they're getting ready to graduate from high school, there's some time mm-hmm. uh, to figure out what they're going to do and maybe visa process for them to work towards citizenship that doesn't necessarily require a student visa. So you do have options there as far as how long they can stay as a dependent
1: on your visa. Amazing memory to come back to that. Well done.
2: <laughs> I had uh, uh, a conversation with one of our my coworkers in Cork, who's from Lisbon. You know, I told him about our interest in Portugal and spending some time there. And uh, I said, "All right, so you know, what's the downside? Why is this a dumb idea? Why shouldn't I do this?" And he said, "Man, if you can take your American job and your American money and move to Portugal, do it. Do it. it. You yeah, absolutely should. Mm-hmm. If you're going to come and get a Portuguese job." Don't do it. Yeah. You can't yeah. do it. Exactly. That's it. Now, tell me a little more about the capes. It's a oh, you, you, haven't, you haven't heard of this? You haven't... No, I don't, I don't, I don't I know about capes. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get a cape in college. Yeah, <laughs> neither did I. It's, I feel like missing <laughs> out.
0: It's a very old tradition that the universities have had here. And actually, uh, this is where J.K. Rowling got the idea for Harry Potter. So when you think of the capes that they wear at school, at Hogwarts...
2: That she was exactly what care. was in my mind. That's, that's exactly it. where
0: it comes from. It yeah. comes from her time living in Portugal. So that's one of the things that, you know, people equate the capes with Harry Potter. But the capes in Portugal as a university student came before Harry Potter did.
2: Okay. Do you get a cape like on your first day?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I don't know if it's like, if it's similar to the cap and gown of of the States, but, but it's definitely like all years have the the outfit
0: and they're it, mainly it, it, black but they are there are different colors and different cords and stuff but i don't think it's necessarily for like a graduation it's
1: not graduation they do wear it during graduation but it, it does seem like maybe it's like first day university actually it's
0: because, like their formal wear
1: because we were okay so i do remember this we were in coimbra uh over the summer two years ago so this was this was like the week or two leading up to the the university matriculation, getting the freshmen uh, started, started and yeah. everything. So all of the the cape K- shops, <laughs> no. were, were just packed with kids, and you could tell like they were kids. They were 17, 18 years old.
0: Yeah, um, lying out the door, waiting in line to get there. they
1: yeah. I, so it, it has I to think be. think
0: it's something that they get through. Yeah, for for the year.
1: Yeah. Wow, I love it. It is a tradition that started 500 years ago, though.
0: And Josh just looked that up online so that he can get a year.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Hi, Josh and Kaylee. When you move from the U.S., do you declare a state of residency? If so, how do you deal with jury duty if summoned? Do you maintain a U.S. mailing address? If so, how do you get your mail? Can Can you use your U.S. driver's license to obtain a Portuguese driver's license? Thanks so much. That was from Autumn Aspens and in the YouTube community.
1: Yeah. yeah, Okay. So I I recognize the name for sure. Um, Well,
0: that's a few different questions.
1: That's a a few different questions in one. So let's see. One of the ones I heard was uh, our our U.S. driver's license, our state driver's license converting into Portuguese. Yes, you can. Um, It's an exchange. As of right now, you don't need to. Right. Um there's yeah there's a a new law that was passed like in
0: 2021. Year. Yeah maybe it's been a couple of years now. So it used to be that you had to exchange within a certain time period but with a US driver's license and it is dependent on what country your driver's license is from. But now US qualifies for you can drive on it in Portugal so you don't need to get an international driver's license or anything like that. You can get uh you can rent a car or anything with your US driver's license. But what you're supposed to do is when it expires, then you're supposed to exchange to a Portuguese driver's license. Um, so that's how that is now, as opposed to just having to do an exchange right when you get here, which is nice. So that's the driver's license thing. As far as residency goes, for like jury duty and things like that, you can prove that you are not a resident of the US. So although you are still a citizen of the US, you if you get summoned for jury duty, then you you just have proof that you are a resident of a different country and that you don't, currently reside in the u.s and then they waive yeah, jury
2: duty that's right um you don't have to go to it well my wife just uh, uh had to let jury duty know that she can't make it and chat gpt was very helpful in writing that letter
0: <laughs> that's Mother. funny that's good yeah uh, i mean there are a lot of exclusions and exceptions and then residency so if you know you can keep your home if you want uh, you can rent it out. You can keep that as your residency. Just think of taxes, though, because we do know a lot of people, for example, from California who are moving their residency to a place like South Dakota. Um, I think it's South Dakota. North Dakota. South Dakota. So, yeah, okay. that are moving their residency from California to South Dakota because of the taxes. So even though you might actually not be living in California, you might have certain state taxes that you still have to, have to pay. So if you move to a place like South Dakota, which they have a very easy uh, route to switching residency. Uh that's something that some people do. And so you can have a residence there, whatever that might look like, whether it's a physical uh address through a home or a virtual one. Again, we talked about anytime mailbox earlier or a company that is a mail forwarding service. If you don't want to keep your US residence, you can go through that route too.
2: Yeah. I did, think, we, did we get did, all of
0: them? we get all of them?
2: Yeah, I think so. Good work. All right. This one also from the YouTube community. Miss. Miss Nisley, there's a K in there that I think is silent. But we'll uh... go for it. <laughs> so, Miss Nisley, sorry I mispronounced your name. Hi, Josh and Kaylee. How do you responsibly rent an apartment or a home from afar when first moving to Portugal? I know it's important to get monthly rates that are on the Portuguese standard, not just quote, whatever I can afford on my American remote salary, end quote, for the good of the market. How do we make sure we have the right impression of what those numbers are and other tips on renting site unseen?
1: Oh boy, (laughs) we could definitely unpack this one. Um, I mean, I think the short answer is you can't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love the approach though of how do I do it responsibly? hundred percent. And understanding that doing this has an effect on the greater community that you're moving to. Yeah, Uh, I think it's a good place to start from.
1: Absolutely. It's a great place to start from. It's a great question to ask. Um,
0: it's a bit of a balancing
1: act, too. I think, I think that the answer to this is don't move to one of the big cities. I think if you, if you're really concerned about it, uh, the problem is with, with that as the, as the, the go-to, uh, solution is that you're going to put your, yourself in a tricky situation because you're going to be in a more rural area with less amenities with a much, uh, let's say steeper learning curve, uh, maybe less people speak English, it's just going to be much more challenging than, than rolling into a city like Porto or Lisbon. Um, I think, I think honestly, that's the answer though, because there are very affordable rents in other parts around Portugal in, in some of the lesser known cities, uh, you have high rents now in Braga. Avedu is a popular place already among Portuguese, especially affluent Portuguese. So their high rents there, Porto's High, Lisbon's High, Cascais, uh, Sintra, uh, various places in Algarve. You have to look outside of those areas if, if, if we're talking about renting on the Portuguese market, let's say. The other thing to do would be to take a chance with a private owner who doesn't know the market and doesn't know what the market bears. The issue with that is that um, not that these could be scams per se, but you could be working with an owner who is just really, really clueless and not very helpful in terms of helping you uh, get established and everything. Because uh, let's say that normally they would rent this property to a Portuguese person. Well, most Portuguese people wouldn't need any help with the things that you're going to need help with in terms of getting set up, getting life established.
0: Like turn the lights on, getting the water going, getting internet, all that stuff.
1: All of that. So if your landlord isn't helpful, that could put you in kind of a tricky spot. So oftentimes, and I don't want to say this about private owners, but oftentimes when you go with a company, like a private uh, property management company, You're going to pay extra, but what you're paying extra for is one, these guys know the market Two: they are working for the owners and they're trying to maximize uh, income, let's say or revenue. Uh, But three, you're going to get some benefits or you're going to get some, um, let's say intangible things that they're going to be able to offer you in terms of like customer service that will mean that the price is higher or that will reflect in the price, let's say. Also, the furniture will generally be better, and and that uh, you're not going to be sleeping on grandma's mattress.
0: You're,
1: <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have like some sort of newish IKEA mattress to sleep on. Uh, that's however, you feel about IKEA, but uh,
0: I think that um, one important thing that you can do is working with uh, a reliable and legitimate renters agent because. When you get a property management company, like Josh said, they're looking out for the landlord. They're trying to make money for that person. So while depending on who the person is, because some are better than others, you don't know how helpful they will be for you. Uh, And especially when we're talking about the prices of things, how much is the price going up because they're getting their cut. Uh, they know the market, and they think they can get this because you're American or you're a foreigner or whatever that might look like. So this is where a renter's agent could be a little more helpful because they work for you rather than working for the owner of the property. Again, you're going to pay a little bit more for that convenience and for their help, but they will. They can also help you with things like you know utilities and turning that stuff on, and then you can I think have a little more um, assurance that they're working for you. But not all renters agents are the same either. I think that we've seen in the past year or two with the influx of people moving, and especially moving sight unseen to places, uh, these people have just kind of decided, I'm going to be a renter's agent. You don't know what you're going to get. So be very careful about what you pay up front. I would say don't pay up front. Mm. um, Or if it's not an actual company, if it just seems like a single person or they're recommended from someone on a Facebook group or something like that, I think be wary of that stuff. Go with um, people who you've gotten feedback from, who you can see, you know, um, maybe reviews on who have you know who who have a rapport with other people um, so that they're trusted. I would say that that is a good one. Especially then they can help you too with a realistic budget where they're not necessarily having you drive up the price for for Portuguese, but they want to give you a price that is that that what you should be paying rather than finding something you think oh that's affordable but it's not really great because you're pushing the market up.
1: Yeah, I, let's close the. The answer with this, we really appreciate the heart of, of what you're trying to do here because it's really important um, for kind of the the the, the ecosystem yeah. here in, in the cities at least because uh, prices have gotten out of control.
0: Yeah, and again, like I was saying before, it's a bit of a balancing act because um, there is a bit of a shortage as well in the long-term rental market. So when you see that, yes, yeah, supply and demand just naturally anywhere. So that prices do go up, which is
1: unfortunate. But Speaking like an economist. Fair
0: enough. Fine, man. I learned that in school. <laughs> a long time ago, high school. But it's, <laughs> if there are people who are interested in a rector's aging, we do recommend someone that we we have worked with uh, personally. And we do know that they're reliable. So again, if you want that contact, I could put you in touch with them. Uh, you can just email me at info at expectedboard.com. And we can put that in the show
1: notes as well. And if you're interested specifically in moving to Lisbon, uh, Kaylee did an interview with a gal that started up a company. This was episode fourteen. She started up a company that helps people find places to to rent and to to buy. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. It's in Lisbon right now, but then she's looking to expand. So that would be a helpful resource too. Yeah. So you can listen to that. Or you can also contact me and I can put you in touch with her too.
2: Cool. This one's from Alvaro Alvarez 5009 from the YouTube community. If I had a friend in Portugal willing to give me a term of responsibility for due purposes, can I move once I arrive in Portugal and find my own place? If so, should I do it before or after the CEF appointment?
1: Okay, good question. I think Kaylee can answer it, but I think I've got a short answer for it, right?
0: <laughs> you Did get a you? short answer and then I'll follow up with the long answer.
1: That's the way it always is, but anyway. <laughs> well, then go. <laughs> I think the answer is wait until you're self-appointed.
0: Yeah, you can do that for your visa. You can definitely do that. What I would say and I always recommend is to have your friend write up a contract. It doesn't have to be anything super crazy, but a, a contract that talks about how with the address, with their information, like their NIF, your NIF, your passport number, that type of stuff. Um so that when you do go to your visa appointment, you have a contract of where you're going to live. It's just more official. So you can do that and then it then you can start looking. It's probably best to wait until after Ceph appointment, but it's not necessary. You'll just have to present your new contract at your Ceph appointment if you if you change. So just make sure when you go to that appointment you have a new housing contract and you can just say that you've moved.
1: And and once you've changed residences, then you need to let Ceph know. As well, and then you will have to get a new SEF card.
0: Yeah, you will have to yeah get a new card.
1: You remember, is it like six weeks after you change by law? Uh, I forget. We'd have to talk to a lawyer about that, but I think it's I think it's something like three weeks or six weeks. It's not a very long amount of time that you have to where you need to inform SEF that you've changed homes. So
0: essentially, it might be easier if you come in with your friend's place and then you find your own before your Ceph appointment to actually get that contract and take that to your in person Ceph appointment. So that way you don't have to bother with the change. And they'll be okay with that that you that you have a different housing contract. You just need to have the housing contract with you at that appointment, even if it's different than what you applied with.
2: Can you explain what a term of responsibility form for due purposes is?
1: So basically what what Ceph Seth- has allowed is they, they, they want to make sure that people that come over here for long-term residence purposes has a place to stay. So if you have a Portuguese friend and they sign this contract saying that you're going to be able to stay with them and they're going to be responsible for supporting you, uh, if you're tight enough with someone in that regard, then that suffices SEPS requirement for the housing contract. Traditionally, I think people just go down the housing contract route and they, they just find themselves a place to stay, sign up 12 month contract and and then that's it. But it is possible. And Kaylee and I actually looked at this before we moved um, because we have uh, where Kaylee, where Kaylee's parents live in Florida. There's a a Portuguese guy uh, that has some family here in Portugal uh, that we were trying to see if they would sign that for us and they would not.
0: <laughs> was <a> little difficult <laughs> <because> <laughs> they didn't, didn't know us, us. But yeah, they didn't know us. So uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think honestly the reason that they didn't is just because they didn't know what the paperwork really entails and they didn't want to have extra work. It's fair <laughs> fair play yeah. for strangers. So
2: all right. Last and final question from Theistian Feast. I'm sure I mispronounced that too, but also from the YouTube community. Prices in Porto are getting crazy. Hmm. I've been looking for rentals in smaller towns, but Casa, Sapo, OLX, Idealista, and Remax usually have very few rental listings. Are most rentals just not advertised online? How do Portuguese people find them?
0: Well, I would say Portuguese people aren't, aren't looking. Moving. They're yeah. not looking for them. That's what yeah, they do. They don't right. have to find them. Uh, yeah, they live there. already live here.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is like that there's this, massive chopping and changing of of where portuguese people are living i don't think that's the case i think mean, i think really the the portuguese people that are looking for rentals would be your university students and that hits like maybe starting in july they start looking for for um housing for the year for the academic year um yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it does seem like there's just this massive shortage in in all of the big cities and the areas around. I think the reason, one of the reasons why the smaller towns have very few listings is just because they have very few properties that are
0: uh, up re- for rent. Oh yeah, by, uh-huh. and that are ready for
1: rent. that are ready that are ready to rent out, mm-hmm. uh, and there's there's less development that's happening in those places. Um, if you go around the country to the, to the bigger towns and cities and you see all of this construction, there's this lag that's happening right now. You know, look at what Porto is going to be like, or look at what Portugal is going to be like in 2024, late 2024, 25, you're going to have a lot more housing options. Now, what are the prices of those housing options going to be? I would imagine they're still going to be pretty high because of the construction cost that it. That was undertaken to get those properties ready, but that could help bring some of the dated properties that are on the market now down. So that could be a positive. Um, I have seen some absolutely shocking properties here lately that are up for rent that are like twice the amount that we're paying where we are. And our place isn't luxurious, but it's like very middle of the road. It's (laughs) renovated. Um, And these are like worse than where we are and double the price of what we're paying. And that's, you know, that's the kind of the current market.
0: So there's a shortage.
1: I think what's going to happen is 2024, 2025, you're going to see a shift happen where those kind of dumpier properties will no longer be able to garner the rents that people are asking for, but you are going to see the the properties that are coming onto the market are going to be more expensive than what Portuguese people are used to paying.
0: And I think the big thing, too, is that the further out you go from the center of the city, the prices definitely drop. If you move away from a train stop or a metro line, then prices are, are a, a lot lower. But it's I mean, Portuguese, they are they, they do talk about themselves like their car culture. So a lot of people have cars here. So it's OK that they're not relying on public transportation because they probably have a car. So they live in a place where they're even looking for a place that might not be in the same place that you're looking because they have a you know they have a car they have a different way that they that they plan on living and that they're used to. Yeah. Um also too though, I mean the Portuguese are quite rich in in property ownership because of how it's passed down from family members and generations. So a lot of people own something, uh, you know, how habitable it is, you know, depends. But they're not necessarily, I would say Portuguese looking to rent as much as they are. If they're going to move, they're probably looking to buy. Or they're selling their place that needs renovations, they want to renovate, and then they're going to use that to find a place to buy. But um, those are good websites to use, but it, there is just a shortage. So again, that's where a renter's agent could really help unearth something.
2: Awesome answer. Awesome questions, too. That uh that ran the gamut and really gave you guys a chance to to frankly show off your expertise. thanks dan um no i thought uh i thought they were they were fantastic questions and keep those questions coming uh we've got uh several more shows coming up this season and uh we can we can sprinkle in some of these uh as we get them or uh you know do one more of these questions episode before we close everything out
1: yeah i i definitely like doing this because there are questions and topics that are tricky to unpack on youtube and um and and quite frankly like they're not i don't want to say they're not worth the it doesn't the, work not worth doing a video about but like when we put a video out there's a lot of hours that go into that video and for it not to get a certain return it's kind of and it hurts it hurts <laughs> right. so there's right. certain types of content that we're going to put out on the youtube channel and there's certain Content that we're going to put out right here for you, for you listener, and the deeper stuff, the more detailed, granular stuff is just going to be here because that's the place for it. We can go much longer and uh, still keep you around. Yeah,
2: awesome. And that, I mean, that is the goal. We want to, we want to keep the listener around, keep providing uh, quality information. Um, yeah, which, which you guys keep doing. So, thank you. Uh, fantastic. You know, as the questions come, just send them right to uh, podcast at expats everywhere.com.
1: Even more than that, guys, leave us a rating on whatever podcast player you play on. We see those ratings. I have been loving reading the ratings on the various uh, podcast platforms that, that we check out. So it gives us a ton of encouragement for what we're doing because this is kind of a new venture for all three of us uh, in terms of all working together. We appreciate the heck out of Dan. He's absolutely crushing it, making us sound good on a weekly basis. So loving that. If you love this podcast, leave us a review, please. So listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal.
0: We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up.
1: And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the digital nomad visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the digital nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off.
0: So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on.
1: And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course. So that it doesn't fall out of date.
0: Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials. And if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions.
1: Expats Everywhere researches our guests and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts.